everybody, and welcome back to the Everybody Trades Podcast. With me, your trader from another mother, and your host, John Miller. How's it going? Hope life is treating you as well as it's been treating me the last couple days, in the stock market anyway. Good times, right? I can't complain when the market goes up. I really can't. Makes my life a lot easier. What can I say? But does that mean we should feel like everything is all hunky-dory in this economy? In fact, somebody I was out with last Thursday night pretty much asked me a very direct question, a very simple direct question. How do you feel about the economy, where we are right now? What are your overall thoughts? In other words, should I be panicking? And I'm here to tell you that despite the fact that I have many reservations about various different policies and particularly Fed policy, I talk a lot about malinvestment and how that's sending money to places that otherwise would not be. And yes, there will in some ways be a day of reckoning there in the form of a recession in areas where money should not have been spent, invested, speculate upon. Yes, those those types of things will come crashing down. But in spite of all that, in spite of all the things that I think are going wrong, all of the manipulations that are happening throughout our economy via mostly the federal government, but also in state, local governments, and various other forms that restrict money and restrict people's behavior in ways that they did not consent to as a group, as an individual, or anything of the sort. And frankly, the types of things that don't make the the economy and the engine, if you will, even though that's a terrible analogy, it doesn't make things run smoothly. It clogs things up, increase costs, and actually affects people's lives in poor ways. But again, in spite, despite all of that, Despite all of that, individuals and their ability to actually improve their lives and to become more productive is actually usurping all of that, in my opinion. I believe that lots of good things actually are happening in terms of lessening silly regulations that frankly didn't need to be in place in the first place. And this is allowing people to actually do their jobs, to start new businesses, and to form new ideas and to put them in action. And that's the real key. People are more able to act and put their ideas into action the more of their own wealth that they're able to accumulate and keep and later reinvest. In fact, I actually have a great quote from Ludwig von Mises that I think will hopefully explain what I'm trying to say even better than what I've just done. Mises says, the characteristic mark of economic history under capitalism is unceasing economic progress, a steady increase in the quantity of capital goods available, and a continuous trend toward an improvement in the general standard of living. The pace of this progress is so rapid that in the course of a boom period, it may well outstrip the synchronous losses caused by malinvestment and overconsumption. Then the economic system as a whole is more prosperous at the end of the boom than it was at its very beginning. It appears impoverished only when compared with the potentialities which existed for a still better state of satisfaction. So what he's trying to say here is it's quite possible that 
in a very in a freer economy, especially the more free that individuals are to again take their ideas, take their wants and their values and express them with actual human action, the more free people are to do this, they can actually out outthink and outproduce and jump over, in fact, leap over the barriers that are often put in front of them with just superior knowledge, know-how, and just overall production and actual results. The bottom line is we as libertarians, for instance, as I am, we have to be careful because obviously this is not a world, this is not our perfect idyllic world that is free of aggression, that is free of legalized aggression from the government. Clearly that doesn't exist. But we have to be very careful to not talk people out of participating in the economy, participating in investment, participating in, 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 in actual formal education if it's necessary. The bottom line is we're all doing okay. I think I sleep just fine at night, quite honestly. Now, I worry about things. There are things that I, of course, am concerned about. But I follow the market. I follow the news. I follow it every single weekday from the moment I get up until at least 3 o'clock, sometimes much longer than that. And if there's ever a moment when it is panic time, believe me, I'll be the first one to tell you. I'm not a sunshine pumper. I'm a realist. I'm not a Pollyanna. But right now, I'm here to tell you, we're in good shape. Everything's okay. shouldn't say everything's okay. You should sleep well, okay? There are obviously people in North Carolina and South Carolina right now who are going through some tough times. There's always things to worry about. But, again, as advocates of freedom, as advocates of individualism, as advocates of non-aggression, of voluntarism. Let's not get bogged down in negativity. See, that's what, that's what the people who are against us are for. See, the world must be terrible, so we need the government to save us from it. Let's not get bogged down in negativity because we think there are certain things that aren't going our way. Overall, people in America are really smart and innovative, and we've built so much over the years that... Even another Great Depression-type scenario, were it to happen again, a, a huge stock market crash or whatever, we've sort of seen this in 2008 to some extent. Well, it's even more true now, 10 years later. If there were another big, quote-unquote, market correction, crash, depression, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, we'll be a lot better off than we were 10 years ago and certainly 80 years ago or however long ago the Great Depression was. You see, back in the Great Depression, we didn't have air conditioning. We didn't have refrigerators. A lot of us didn't have indoor plumbing or electricity. See, it was a completely different world. So if there are some tough, quote-unquote, times coming forward, which inevitably there will be some relatively tough times, again, that's the key point. It's all relative. Be sure to always pay down your debt as much as you can and save up. And these types of moments won't affect you nearly as much as they otherwise would. And you will weather the storm and come through it just fine. 
and hopefully overall, then the economy will move forward as well. And when I say the economy, I'm talking about other people, other people in the world who maybe they're in a, a, not, a not successful business. See, the recovery is closing down that business and putting your money towards something more productive and your time and your wealth and all your resources. See, that's what a real correction is. It's not some mathematical phenomenon that, occur, that occurs on a spreadsheet. No, it's real people deciding that their losing propositions need to be turned into at least not into winning ones, certainly, but at least no longer losing ones. We need to do something else. We need to stop the bleeding, and that's how a correction really happens. I think one of the problems with the way many people look at the economy and just human progress in general is that essentially we have a finish line. Essentially there's a utopia out there, and once we get there, it's a finish line and we're done. We're, we're finished with, with progress. Once we've reached the pinnacle, we've got there, and then it's just a matter of handing out all the goodies and spreading them out equally to everybody else. But unfortunately, that's not the way that life works. As I've pointed out before, there is nowhere in life where stasis actually exists that I can find. Very, 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 very extremely few examples. Even the sun is not going to last forever. Sure, in theory, it's going to last for another billion years or something. I don't know. That's what the scientists say. It's going to outpace all of us, but even the sun is going to die eventually. Its energy that it puts out is not constant. Its size is not constant. The Rocky Mountains are in a constant state of erosion. Our eyeballs can't see it, but even the Rocky Mountains are changing. But yet we still have people like Elon Musk and Richard Branson, ostensibly brilliant people who have all the money in the world, quote-unquote, so they think they've gotten to the finish line. See, they, they think they're at the wealth finish line, so they've suggested that other people need a universal basic income. Now again, let's just think about this concept. What if the finish line concept was 100 years ago and we just decided that, hey, Rockefeller has X amount of money or Vanderbilt has X amount of money. They're at the finish line. Now they just need to distribute everything to everybody else. Well, what exactly is the problem there? Well, obviously that wasn't the finish line, was it? 1918 was not the finish line of anything. The amount of progress in the last hundred years is genuinely astonishing, frankly. And there's this idea, (coughs) excuse me, there's this idea that technology is now I've seen this idea floating around a lot, this idea that technological innovation is now going to flatten out. We've kind of invented everything we possibly could. Again, we're getting to this, it's this idea of a finish line. But once again, nothing ever, nothing ever stays the same. It's either regressing or getting better, getting bigger, getting smaller, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But as long as people have to keep getting up every single day and consuming and eating as literally every single person must consume in order to survive, we're always going to have to keep moving forward. 
We don't have a choice. Social Security is a fantastic example of this, too. We tried to implement this idea of, well, hey, we've got enough money now to let everybody automatically retire. But what they didn't count on is, again, they assumed stasis, which was, well, everybody generally kicks off at about in their late 60s or so, or so let's, let's, uh, let, let's set the age at 65 or 60 or whatever the age was originally set at. But here's the problem. People started living a lot longer. People living into their 90s now is fairly commonplace, whereas back in the 1930s, it was really quite uncommon. You see, today's luxury is tomorrow's necessity. So once again, there is no finish line of life, so don't expect there to be one in economics either and with wealth. See, people have an unending capacity to want new things, experience new things, and most of all, they have a unending desire to improve their own lives in whatever way that manifests itself. And this idea that, well, we're out of technological innovation, we're out of things to invent, we're out of things to make, what are people going to do when all the robots take over, is a totally absurd notion that I would like to wipe from your brain completely. There was a woman online who tweeted out something that actually went viral with thousands and thousands of retweets. And let me tell you what she said. She said, if you think about it, people with glasses are literally paying to use their eyes. Capitalism is a bitch. That was her quote. Now let's unpack this a tiny bit. God, I hate the phrase unpack. I hate that I just use that. All right, let's, let's power through. First of all, you're not literally paying to use your eyes when you buy glasses. That, the phrase literal, the word literally there is obviously used incorrectly. No, you're literally paying to improve your eyesight. You can still use your previously not so great eyesight with or without glasses. The point is, the glasses help you see. So the complaint here is what? I mean, quite honestly, the total lack of gratitude for the people who actually made her glasses there is really pretty appalling when you actually break it down and think about it. See, this woman didn't make her own glasses, but somehow she feels entitled to, I don't know, free glasses, to the free materials that are in her glasses that make her life better. I would think she'd be happy to trade a small amount of relatively small amount of money for a pair of glasses. Now she might come back at me, I'm sure, and say, relatively small amount of money, my glasses were three hundred dollars or whatever they might cost. My comeback to that would be if you didn't have capitalism, if you didn't have trade, because that's essentially what capitalism is, free trade, people trading money, services, etc. for something else. If you didn't have that, how would this lady have a pair of glasses? How much would it cost her to make glasses by herself? How would that even work? Does she know how to blow glass? Does she know how to get the correct prescription in the glasses? Does she she even know how to make plastic or whatever the material that makes the frames? Would she know how to mold it? I mean, even if she did know all of this, 
Does she have the materials, the tools, the space, any of this? You see, if we were all forced to make our own glasses, the reality is, is most of us wouldn't have glasses. You see, there was some, apparently there was a Chinese person who invented glasses a thousand years ago or something, as best as I could tell. Well, I'm sure it took that guy a really, really long time to make that first undoubtedly crappy pair of glasses. But eventually, other people started doing it too. They figured out better ways to do it, better ways to make glass, better ways to make frames, quicker, cheaper, better. And then other people did it too. And then they started trading like, oh, those are nice glasses. I'd sure like to see better too. Here, I'll trade you some fish that I caught today or whatever it might be. Here's some milk. I don't know. Again, both people are better off. Hey, I've, I've learned how to make glasses, and now I don't have to farm. I hate farming. I'd much rather make glasses. This is how trade works. This is how society gets better. You see, the guy who's really good at making glasses but hates farming gets to make his glasses for everyone, while the other people who are actually good at farming and may enjoy it, they can do that. But they don't like making glasses. See, See the symbiotic, beautiful relationship here? This is how the world works, people. This idea that darn capitalism makes me pay for glasses is one of the most ungrateful and, frankly, ridiculous things I've ever heard. But I'm really focused on how ungrateful it is. The point is, when Jim Carrey, when he recently said, we have to say yes to socialism, there is no yes or no in socialism. You're just shoved into it. There is no yes or no. There's no choice. And that's the thing about socialism. It's not about a commune. You see, a commune is people who are there by choice, and they put all of their things into a collective, all of the food that they grow or what have you. That is one thing. And that has its own problems that we can possibly argue about. Like, I don't know a lot of communes that are long-term successful, but I also don't know of any communes or very many communes, at least compared to, I don't know, Stalinist Russia that has the body count of a Stalinist Russia. Let's put it that way. And frankly, this whole point I'm making about choice is why I'm getting more and more bored by your just everyday Republican versus Democrat stuff. Because to me, the whole argument, the important argument is about political power versus liberty. And no... Liberty does not mean no law and order. It doesn't mean there shouldn't be laws. It's all about consent. I mean, really, if you think about it, I'm starting to think that maybe the fantasy football league and the way it's constructed, the voluntary agreement, is kind of a model for our entire society. You and people that you know come together, throw some money together. Yes, there are rules. There is one person called a commissioner who we all mutually agree that will be the commissioner, sort of like what an arbitrageur, or or, I'm sorry, not an arbitrageur, what an arbitrator would be in a legal sense. See, when both parties decide we will abide by this person's decision, it's essentially what a private law society would look like. You see, you've got the commissioner of your league, he makes the rules, you all agree to the rules, You all agree to pay the price, and if you're unsatisfied, guess what? Find a new league next year. 
That's the way voluntarism should really work. It's not about chaos. It's not about having no rules. It's not about people just doing whatever they want, running over each other with cars and stealing their property and just Mad Max-style chaos. No, what it's about is consent and agreement. Consent of the governed is a thing we used to care about in this country, but apparently not as much as we used to. And with that profound thought, I'm going to leave it at that. I'll see you guys later. Until next time, on 